Well, hey there, folks, and welcome to The Jason Wright Show. Today, I've got a great episode for you. I am joined by Darren McMains. Darren McMains is a former professional baseball player turned mental performance coach. This episode is laden with little nuggets of gold spread throughout. Darren is wise beyond his years, an incredible coach. He's ha- he takes his clients who are great to exceptional. It is such a good conversation. I actually learned so much from Darren just during the course of this conversation. Look, one of the ways that I am constantly trying to improve is my mindset and how I approach both setbacks, struggles, or just things that I want to get better at. And in this conversation, Darren just throws out all kinds of wisdom. So here's a little bit more about who Darren McMains is. As I mentioned earlier, he's a professional baseball player and manager, and he's now the director of mental performance at global cybersecurity company, ReliaQuest. McMains has spent the last decade plus training athletes, executives, and other high performers using mental performance principles to take their game to the next level. He's built out mental performance programs for the San Francisco Giants, Seattle Mariners, and the University of Notre Dame. One of the most important skills he teaches is a simple yet not so easy one. That is learning how to be a high performer by staying in the present moment. Like I said, this conversation is just filled with incredible little pieces of wisdom from Darren. It was so awesome to have him on the show. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, please consider clicking like, subscribe, and leave us some comments. That will really help the algorithm push us to the front and so that more people can benefit from this. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, please go ahead and leave a rating on the show and share this. If you have someone that wants to up their game as a as it relates to their mental performance, this is a good one. Please consider passing it along. And remember, never stop endeavoring to improve always in all ways. Thank you so much for listening. Now, enjoy my conversation with DMAC. All right, Darren McMains, welcome to the Jason Wright Show, brother. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, for sure. It is such a pleasure, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is mindset, how to improve it. I know that's your wheelhouse, and what I'd like to do to start this off, and by the way, um, I don't know if, I didn't even look to see if you guys would have crossed over. I don't know if you ever played against Brandon Geyer or not, uh, and but Brandon was, uh, he played with my buddy Josh Tomlin for the, I think they were on the, uh, back then, the the Guardians, they were the Indians at that time, that's where they played together, and uh, Brandon is, you know, the Anaheim Angels uh, mm-hmm. mental strength coach, or whatever whatever his official title is, and he is the founder of Major League Mindsets, and so had him on the show, and had a great conversation, Josh has been on the show a number of times, actually Josh and I are recording uh, tomorrow, and so to have you have another MLB guy in the mix is so awesome, and the cool thing is, you know, as someone who in my younger days, baseball was my first love. And I can tell you, man, I know I want to unpack some of this. I want you to help me with some of those. Like, I want you to talk to like 16 year old Jason who had such a fixed mindset. And I know that it really held me back in, in, in baseball back in the day. I want to cover some of that. But anyway, sure. knowing, teeing that up as a former MLB player, kind of walk us through a little bit of your background into the league and then 
how you evolved from professional athlete to now coaching probably one of, well, according to Michael Gervais, about 90% of the success between, you know, the guy that wins the championship and the one that doesn't is mental aptitude and strength. So kind of how has your journey started and brought you to this place where you are now on the Jason Wright Show, brother? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that, man. Thanks for that incredible intro. And I'll tell you what, I, I did cross paths with Brandon Geyer actually when I was a mental performance coach with the Giants and it was towards the end of his career and we had a great conversation. He was thinking about going into this field. So it's been really cool to see him do what he's done and uh, continue to to grow the field, right? And just bring more um, great experience, great um, great lessons and principles. And, and, and again, just raise the level of the standard at which we all have to operate, right? Which is really right. cool. So um, yeah, so side note there, but yeah, man, my career uh, started in 01. So got drafted by the Giants, played in their organization for a while. And I got to tell you, um, I went to major league camp twice as a non-roster invite. Uh, never played in the regular season though, right? After five, I had five surgeries, five season ending injuries. And so like my ultimate goal was to, you know, obviously play in the major leagues for as long as I can. Uh, I failed at that, right? I mean, that's a 20 year goal that you chase from the time when you're a young kid. And they one day go, shoot, I ain't going to do this. And so I remember going in at the end of spring training in 2008 and just saying, hey, uh, I can't play anymore. I'm not very good, right? And so I was a switch hitter. Now, I started switch hitting my senior year of high school. Um, and so my last year playing in professional baseball because of the shoulder surgeries I had had, I just had to hit right-handed. And uh, that was not fun. I can tell you, you know, and then the league knew they're like, wait a minute, this guy used to be a switch hitter. So now I'm getting wipeout sliders, you know, and baseball just wasn't fun anymore. Um, but credit to the Giants. I mean, I, I'm really appreciative of them. They said, hey, well, you know, we think you can add a lot of value. Uh, we want you to coach. And so I coached for five years and managed in the minor leagues. And it was during that time when I started to get to, to know every part of, of every guy start to understand their stories, you start to realize like, wow, man, like mindset matters. Cause I can tell you as a player in that time, like sports psychology was like, Hey, you only go there if there's something wrong with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I avoided that those people that worked in those jobs, like the plague, I'm like, I ain't going there. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. And so, uh, although reflecting on my career, like after my last surgery, I mean, we can talk about this later, but, uh, it was one of those things that I should have, I should have accepted that I wasn't the same player I was so I can become a new player going forward, right? But I was always chasing that old player, that switch hitter, you know, that that type of person, and I wasn't. So I, I really struggle with that. And so looking back, obviously, I'm like, shoot, I, I, I should have went and talked to somebody about that. But um, but yeah, man, so during the five years when I was coaching is when I realized just um, how much, you know, mindset impacts performance. And then what what I saw was like, wait a minute, we can come at this from a proactive approach. It doesn't have to be this, you know, wait till the wheels fall off type type deal, you know? And, and I compare it to physical health, right? When we think about mental health and physical health, physical health, if we want to be proactive in our physical health, what do we do? We hire a nutritionist, we hire a personal trainer, a strength coach, whatever it might be. Um, we don't just wait until we go to the doctor. Like that's a terrible approach, right? And so we look at mental health, for me, it's the same thing. You, you get with a mental skills coach, a mental performance coach, a mindset coach, whatever you want to call it, right? But it's like you get with someone like that and you operate from a proactive standpoint, right? So you don't, um, you know, potentially have to go to the psychiatrist or the psychologist, right? And not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Everybody, just like there's nothing wrong going to the doctor. Sometimes you got to go to the doctor, you know? So uh, anyway, but when I saw that, hey, we can approach this from a proactive standpoint. Well, I got really excited about that. And so 
you know, went back to school, got, um, you know, got the education that I needed, a couple degrees around it. And then, yeah, built out the program for the, the San Francisco Giants beginning in 2012, did that for a bit, uh, was there during the, you know, great time. I was coaching, you know, in 2010 when we won the world championship in player development and then mental performance specifically in 2012 and 2014 when we were able to win a couple more. It's really cool. Had the opportunity to go to the University of Notre Dame, build out their first mental performance program within the athletics department. So I got to work across all 26 teams, mostly with just the head coaches, helping them understand like, hey, this is what mental performance is. Like, how can we do this from a proactive standpoint? And then honestly, Jason just missed baseball. So went back, uh, worked with the Mariners for a few years and now, you know, consulting with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm going into my fourth season consulting with them. Um, so it, it's, it's been a great ride, man. It's been a lot of fun. So one of the questions I have is that you are constantly dealing with high performance, high, just incredibly talented human beings. I mean, man, I can't imagine. I mean, like, let's take Notre Dame and I don't care. You know, I guess this would be the same thing at like Alabama. If you're playing, you know, at USC, Notre Dame, Alabama, you know, you know, Ohio state, these are kids that have always been incredibly talented. And I got to believe that you find these athletes often that got to that level on talent, but the, but like I was saying earlier and where I got that stat was I was listening to Michael Gervais talk about who, you know, as you know, one of the, uh, the most elite sports psychologist in the business, I'm sure you cross paths or looked at his work mm -hmm. and, and he has said a number of times, all things being equal, you've got athlete, a athlete, B both unbelievably talented. They've got the natural skills, they've got all the talent, but the one with the positive self-talk and the great and the best mindset 90% of the time is going to be the victor. How do you approach that kid that shows up at the University of Notre Dame, has been recruited by every school in the nation, has been, uh, knows that, you know, let's face it, Notre Dame is the minor leagues for the NFL. Mm -hmm. how, how do you get that kid to either, how do you notice, what are some things you notice or things that you are able to do to transition that kid from not just resting on talent, but to take it to the next level to be a champion, which requires the mindset. Kind of what does that look like? And, and does that kid usually come to you? Or do these teams that you're working with, do they say, all right, Darren, we want you to identify and you can look at a kid and go, huh, the reason why this kid is still on the freaking scout team and was the number one blue chip recruit in the nation out of Texas and ended up in South Bend, Indiana. The reason why he's not on the field is because it's still just talent that he's resting on and I've got to work on his mental. How does that whole process kind of work for you? Wow, what a great question. Well, this is what I do know. Behavior change comes from two places. And this is true for all of us. I don't care how old you are. You either learn enough you want to or you heard enough you have to. I like right. That. And so what happens is a lot of times, so on the front end, when we talk about mental performance, a lot of it's education, right? It's like saying, Hey, like, this is the level you're at. This is the expectation, you know, and, and this is what mental performance is. This is what it's not. This is how you can improve. And look, 5% of people get it right. 5% 5% of people go, I'm going to be proactive in that. I can see how I can connect those dots. Unfortunately, a lot of us heard enough. We have to right? Where we go, man, I was always the best and I'm not. What in the heck is going on, right? So, and, and first and foremost, right away, generally, you know, we talk about college athletes, uh, student athletes, they're going to go right to technique, right to tactical stuff, right? Right to skill, right away to that um, because that's what they've always done, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. What, what they end up 
learning though, is it's like, Hey, you know how to catch, you know how to kick, you know how to, you know how to do those things, but those things don't show up consistently on game day, or they don't show up consistently in practice. So we can put you in the game, whatever it may be. And so the conversation becomes around, how can you be more consistent? It's not about like, Hey, how can you quote unquote, reach this, this, uh, peak? Cause for me, what I've learned along the way is like professional athletes, elite performers in any field, they can just do it every day. Right. It, it, you know, Willie Mays is, you know, famous for saying we have this quote on the wall when I was with the giants there, it's like anybody can, can be great from time to time, you know, mm-hmm. greatness is those that can do it consistently. And so mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, cool. How do we perform more consistently? Cause I know you can do it, but once a week ain't good enough. Right. And so then we start having those conversations around consistency and that tends to help them move the needle versus like, Hey, it's a mindset issue or whatever, you know, cause obviously there's still a little stigma around that. Not as much as there used to be, which is really cool. Uh, but it's a consistency conversation, right? Now, when you're having consistency conversation, now you're talking about pre-performance routine. Now you're talking about self-talk. Now you're talking about response to adversity, obstacles, maybe a, a bad play and how do you bounce back and get going on the next one? Um, you know, now, now you're talking about sleep, nutrition, right? Now you're talking about goal setting, process goals. So you're talking about all the things that can help someone be more consistent so their best self can show up more frequently, right? And so I've learned along the way that is a, a better conversation that an athlete is willing to have sooner, right? So they don't have to hurt as much so they can get on the field and reach their potential more quickly. And so let's talk a little bit about, because I thought about you this morning. I'm reading um, a book, Leadership, which uh, does little mini profiles of Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, and LBJ. And I'm Mm -hmm. reading this chapter that I could identify with because, okay, so just... And this might end up being, I, I love to take advantage and monopolize my ability to have these really cool people like you on the podcast and leverage them for my, my selfish benefit. So, so <laughs> you, so I may sneak in a little mental coaching deal for, for, for me Let's go. while we're yeah. here. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm reading and I'm reading about LBJ, how he lost his first Senate race and was just destroyed. I mean, couldn't get out of bed, went into a, just this, I mean, he literally went into a depression and then you got Abraham Lincoln who, whenever he lost his first race, he was so incredibly grateful for winning his own home constituency. Even though he lost all this, he was just, all he focused on was the people that are closest to me. They respected what I was trying to do. And he had bouts of depression, but it never stopped him. Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt is somebody who he goes home one day and finds his wife who's giving birth and his mom sick. They both die within hours of each other. And instead of letting it just defeat him, it, it forced him out of politics for a little while. But he, that's when he goes out to the Badlands and just immerses himself in danger and the frontier and being kind of developing into the Teddy Roosevelt that we know. FDR, he all of a sudden starts dealing with polio. And what does he do? He just fights and fights and fights to to try to 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 come back, you know, one day and to walk and, and ultimately become president of the United States. So I'm reading these stories, but the one that I could most identify with was LBJ because it, it even the the author even says that LBJ always took his defeats as he was a failure. It wasn't a mm. failed campaign. He was a failure. He had been rejected. So for someone like me, and that was me, every time I failed at something, I was a failure. It wasn't that I just failed. So it took me forever to actually start to live out that quote of Zig Ziglar's, which is failure is a, is a, is a place in time. It's not an identity, something to that effect. And, and so when you are 
when you first are you able to kind of identify with your athletes and now your corporate clients or anybody that you're dealing with when they've got this fixed mindset that you're trying to transition them from getting past just because you failed doesn't make you a failure. It just means it's something you did and, and get getting right. them to try to enjoy so that they can consistently, because especially with athletes, I mean, dude, you got people going to the plate every free, I mean, how many, you know, 162 games a year and average of what three at bats, whatever that comes. I yeah. don't even know what those stats are, but that goes back to that Willie Mason. You're talking about that consistency to stop every single time you come up. It is a new challenge, a new day. It's not a failure that struck out the last at bat. It's a whole new competition against that pitcher this time. How do you start to get that fixed mindset person like I was and like I'm trying to continue to recover from to start to isolate those instances of competition into an isolated competition, not a reflection on that individual? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places to kind of take that. I think you mentioned identity a few times. So let's just start there, right? Um, for me, identity is the heart of performance. So let me just. I want to back us up kind of how I teach some, uh, well, teach all athletes that I work with. Right. And so the, the framework that I operate from, and I'm just going to, again, deconstruct it. So it's like actions, performance, behavior. Why did you do that thing? Like, why did you perform that way? Well, I can tell you, you did it because you felt like it, right? It's our emotions that ultimately influence our actions. Well, let's back that up. Why were you feeling that way? Why were you having those emotions? Well, because your thoughts, right? So it's our thoughts that determine our emotions and it's our emotions that influence our actions. Well, the next question is like, why the heck was I thinking those things? Why was I having those thoughts going into that performance? Well, that speaks to our perspective, right? So how I see the world, how I see this practice, how I see this moment, whatever it is, determines how I think about it, how I think about it, determines how I feel, right? And how I feel and influences what I do. But then the last piece is like, why, why do I see the situation that way? Why do I see this practice or this game that way? Well, because that goes to our identity. Right. It's been said that we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Right. Mm -hmm. We all see it just a little bit differently. Right. And so how I see myself determines how I see this game or how I see myself determines how I see the world. Right. And then it kind of goes down to thoughts, emotions, actions. So we always need to get to identity anyway. Right. Now, you can't have that in the first conversation. They're going to be like, what the heck's wrong? This is getting a little too deep, brother. You know, I'm out of here, you know, but like that's ultimately where we're going to get to and identity. So what goes into identity? Right. It's it's beliefs. It's core values. And it's self-image, right? Beliefs are those deep-rooted, deep-seated things. We, you know, research tells us we get these things, but by the time we're eight years old, you know, whether it's from our parents, our community, what we read, what we see, right? And I think that just speaks to the importance of uh, being an intentional parent, right? And making sure that the messages and the way we're communicating or the, or the messages our kids are seeing are, are, are so um, important, right? In shaping their identity and perspective on how they're going to see the world, right? Core values, these are these things that we choose, we pick, generally happens... Uh, high school, college, we start to admire people. We start to see things or we recognize in our own life, hey, like, wow, when I work really hard, I get good results or whatever it is. And we start picking these values. And then all of a sudden, those start guiding our behaviors. But self-image, Jason, this is where it gets tricky, right? This is why mindset's so tricky. Self-image is context-specific. Context-specific. So an example would be, you know, I'm consulting with the Diamondbacks. So let's say uh, a few years ago when I was with them, we, we were one of the worst teams in the National League. We're having a lot of hard conversations, general manager, uh, also with the manager. We're having hard conversations on like, hey, how can we turn the ship around? And I love those conversations. I look forward to those conversations. I couldn't wait to drive down to Chase Field and have that conversation. Why? Because the self-image I had of myself in that environment, right, with over two decades of professional baseball, I have a lot of experience there. 
But I can tell you right now, if I, when we finish this, if I have a leak in my sink, in my bathroom, I'll freak out, man. Like I, <laughs> like the self-image I have myself of being able to be a home improvement guy, not yeah. good, right? I'm going to start thinking load-bearing wall, like black mold, like what am I doing, <laughs> right? Um, I'm going to freak out a little bit. Have, and neither of those things have anything to do with beliefs or core values, all how I see myself being able to show up in that environment, right? So I say all that and that, what do we do with that, right? Like how do we help a guy be able to separate at bats or separate games or, hey, you know, that, that failure doesn't define me. It should refine me, right? Well, those are all types of, you know, cognitive behavioral techniques, right? And so those are all perspective changing type of things. But I can tell you when it comes to consistent performance, it is always getting to that identity level. Like, how do you see yourself when you show up in this environment? How do you want to see yourself when you show up in this environment, right? Like, um, I've, I've worked with the guys in the past with the San Francisco 49ers, right? And the one thing that I love that, that they talk about is like, you know, Shanahan talks about, I don't care how you are outside of this building. When you show up as a 49er, this is how we play here, right? We're fast, we're aggressive, we echo the whistle, all that stuff. And so it's like, what is he doing? He's, he's letting them know this is the team image. This is the self image. This is what it means to be a 49er, right? And so I love that because that's ultimately what he's doing. He's saying, and, and we can all get into character for three hours a day, right? And so it is helping, helping athletes realize like, hey, this is kind of how it all works type thing, right? And we, and we know it's a little gray, right? But it's like giving people a framework. Now it's like, okay, I can start to grab onto that. And then who do I need to be to show up? And then in baseball in particular, remind guys all the time, hey, the most expensive piece of real estate an entire baseball field is the 60 feet, six inches between the pitching rubber and home plate. Like you got to own that space. That psychological real estate is yours mm -hmm. because the, when you get two competitors and they're looking at each other and I'm sure your friend, you know, mm -hmm. Josh knows this Geyer knows this. It's like, you can smell, you can smell blood. Like when yeah. you're at, when you're an elite level competitor, you can look at someone's body language. You can look at the way they walk to the plate. You can just, you can, you can smell blood. And so it's like one of those things like, Who's going to own that psychological real estate between home plate and the pitcher's mouth? That's the person, right? That's going to have the upper hand because at that level, talent is no longer the separator. We know this, right? And so it's like, hey, what are strategies? What are things that we need to cultivate to make sure it doesn't matter if you're 0 for 10, 10 for 10. I don't care if you're up 10, down 10. You walk to the plate and that guy knows like you're there to do damage or you're on the rubber. And you're what, you know, and that guy walking to the plate knows, oh, oh, shoot, this guy's about to give me something, you know? So that's the thing that we start to talk. And then, and then from there, who knows where the guy needs to get to, right? It's like, you know, is he a cerebral guy? Is he a max effort guy? You know, and, and then, and then it kind of unpacks from there, but that's always kind of where we start. So one of the things that you talked about was, um, one of the single most powerful things I have learned in my how how I manage my life and it's the identity like going back to those identity based habits even that's one of the things that whenever I coach people uh, I've got this course I'm actually revising right now massively transformative habits and I start with that identity and because I think that you know like I read this book uh I can't remember who the author was it's uh how to quit smoking and it's like the most uh it's the most effective uh book ever written for for smokers to quit smoking and essentially all it deals with is uh you would only a stupid person would smoke cigarettes when you start to cognitively realize how bad smoking is for you and that's what the author does and it's incredibly effective so that when your identity becomes someone who 
yeah, is too smart to smoke, then you're much less likely. And, you know, like one of the things I talk about in this show a lot, I haven't had a drop of alcohol in over five years because it doesn't blend with my identity. I mean, I had to set out these values and this, these things like the improve always and always mantra that I, you know, promote on this show. It has to mean something. How do you take your athletes, your corporate clients through the process of not only I, we can all say, well, I tell you who I'd like to be. I'd like to be sure. this person, you know, whatever. And, and I guess that's probably where some of it starts. But how do you take them through the process of really peeling back and helping them discover who they are? I mean, you know, like Carl Jung. I mean, that's one of the things you have know, the shadow self that some so part of the shadow is suppressed. And that's a good thing. But there's also this shadow that you've never let out to be who you authentically are to really hone some of your authentic skills. And I got to imagine if you're talking to an athlete and you're talking about Carl Jung, they're probably going to be like, dude, what the <laughs> Darren, what the hell are you talking about, brother? Yeah, you know, totally, so. Totally. But how do you start that process? And for this audience, I mean, speak to them about, hey, if you're struggling to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop eating so much, not performing the way you want to at work, let's let's peel this back and let's kind of discover who you are at your core so that we can then start building the actions and habits to, to carry to those moments of competition. Well, again, whether it's the workplace, whether it's competitive, how do you start to build that person and help them truly identify their true identity? Yeah. Well, first I start with, hey, who you want to become is far more important than who you are. I love so that. Let's just start there, that's, right? That's so, awesome. So I think, um, you know, because a lot of people are trying to discover themselves instead of like invent themselves, right? And look, like we all have stuff from our childhood. We all have stuff that people have said to us. We've all failed along the way um, that um, does impact us going forward for Wait sure. Wait a minute, Darren. Right? That, was so, that was so much profound. I don't want to let that go. That was, sure. that was badass, dude. That was gold. People are trying to discover themselves as opposed to invent themselves. I take that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I think that is so awesome. They're just kind of bumbling through life, hoping yeah. that they'll finally, the, 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 the magnet will match with the polar opposite and click, and oh, so this is what I was supposed to do all along. Okay, and, and if that doesn't work, they keep going through life just trying and trying, failing and failing. Whereas what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is – if you first decide what you actually want to become, then you can start to build yourself into that, yeah. that character, that persona, that man, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is such valuable gold for, to, cause I've never heard it described like that. And I'm probably that way. I, dude, I was a job hopper the first six years of my career out of undergrad. I think for that reason, I'm just trying to discover what I'm good at. I'm trying to discover sure. something that matches my personality instead of saying, wait a minute. And it was until that point that, I finally decided, wait, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to go buy a business. I want this sort of life and everything changed. So gold, dude. So anyway, continue, man. That was just awesome. Oh, yeah, no, thanks. Um, but yeah, but uh, again, that that's generally where the conversation starts, right? It's like, who do you want to become, right? And it's like, and again, um, and I know I'm making blanket statements here. Everybody's a little different, but I do think it's how I operate, how I work with guys is, you know, it's just like, hey, like, I'm not concerned with finding, you know, hey, I just need to find myself. No, let's create yourself, right? Let, let's create something. Let's just move forward. And so, uh, and that gets people starting to think about like, yeah, how do I want to show up? Who do I want to become, right? Because becoming is, is, is far 
uh, more controllable than what has already happened, right? It's like, look, we can't change that, but th and that's okay, right? It's a, that's a part of the story, right? And so, no big deal. Um, and, and so first, we just kind of start there, like like who do we want to uh, become, and, and what do we need to do? And then from there, and this is so stinking hard, Jason. I mean, it's it's easy to talk about, right? Simply and easy, we know that. Um, but like then, it's like, what are the smallest wins we can get? Right, right away. What are the smallest wins on who do you want to become? And I can tell you probably most consistently where it's like, it's almost become like a staple in who I, in the people that I get to work with, where the first place that we generally end up is refuse to snooze. Refuse to, like, is the simplest. It's the one, it's the first decision you make every day. It is literally the first decision you make every day. And the first decision, the first choice you have is this. Am I going to honor my commitment that I made to myself from the night before? Or am I going to succumb to my emotion in the moment that I don't feel like getting up? Right away, you have a choice. Do you want to honor your long-term commitment or your short-term emotion? What is it? Well, I can tell you best performers in the world consistently honor their long-term commitments. They act different than how they feel, right? Emotions, and that's why I said earlier, emotions just influence performance. You can act different than how you feel, mm. right? And so... Um, I, you know, I'd say this all the time, emotions, great informants, terrible dictators, right? Mm -hmm. And so, well, mm -hmm. it's one thing to say it is another thing. How do we train to it? The way we train to it, first decision of the day, make the decision based on your commitment, not on how you feel. So refuse to snooze. And here's what's going to happen when you refuse to snooze. Generally, I don't know. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's research somewhere that tells us what the average number of of snoozes somebody hits. My guess is two to three because I'm not perfect at this, right? We're all imperfect humans. And so um, my guess is two to three. I don't know what your setting is on my phone. It's nine minutes. So look, if I hit that thing two times, I'm down 18 minutes. I'm already down 18 minutes in my maybe devotion in the morning, maybe what I want to read in the morning, maybe my time to just enjoy my breakfast or maybe the time I'm going to connect with my kid, maybe the time I'm going to prep for my meeting, all those things, something, I lose something in those 18 minutes, Right. And so my point being is how do we, like, how do we start to change behavior versus we just get that first small win of the day, first small win. And all of a sudden you're up 18 minutes earlier, 27 minutes earlier. And you're like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I said, I was going to read. I want to be a person that reads, right? I, I want to become someone that's a, you know, a servant leader. And I got this book on servant leadership. Well, guess what? You got 27 minutes to read, get to reading, you know? And so you're not just going to sit there and stare at the wall, you know, like you're actually up. So go do something. So I always start there, right? And then that feels like that's where I always go to. And then generally after that, it's it's ice baths, right? And it's like, and I love ice baths, not for, I mean, I know all the physiological benefits of it. I love it again, because it goes back for you to learn how to manage your mind, right? And how for you to take control of your self-talk, because that like, there's no greater place to learn how to control your self-talk than putting yourself in an extremely uncomfortable environment. Good thing is, you know, ice baths do a great job for you, you know, from a crevy standpoint, but also from a mental training standpoint, it forces you to like, how, how can I manage that negative self-talk? How can I manage that, you know, survival self-talk with like, get the heck out of here. And that's why personally, I don't love cryo, right? I know the benefits of cryo, all that kind of stuff, but I don't love it because the ice bath, you got to sit in a little more and it's, it's tough, right? So anyway, that's where I always start because it's about getting those little wins. And then we can start looking at ourselves like, Hey, I, I was never, I was always a snoozer. Now I'm not, mm -hmm. what else can I become? Right. I was, you know, I, I hated ice baths, but now I kind of look forward to them. Right. Cause it's, it's, and I'll say this too. It's like, it's discipline, right? This, it always starts with discipline that leads to desire and this desire that leads to devotion. 
right? But it always starts with discipline first. A lot of people think, well, when I feel like it, don't wait for you to feel like it. You know what you need to do. Go become that person. D be d disciplined to do it. Then all of a sudden you start to like crave it a little bit, right? And then that's when you become devoted to it. And so getting those first few wins to start pe helping people realize I can become someone different. Then it's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing, right? And then we just build it from there, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, becoming great, becoming the, the person that you desire to be, becoming the person that I believe you were created to be, it's not a pop-up tent. You know what I mean? Like it's building, it's building a foundation. It's building, you know, layer after layer after layer. And people want it so fast, but that's just not how it works, right? And so level setting with people and their expectations so they don't get frustrated early on. It's like, oh, but I wanted this, you know? And it's like, it's gonna take a few years, man. That's, that's okay, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there, but it's gonna take a little bit. I'm so pumped that you mentioned the ice bath because whenever you were talking about the, uh, what was it? Choose not to snooze. Is that, that, that refuse to snooze, refuse, refuse to, to snooze. snooze. Yeah. Refuse to snooze. I'm going to remember that. That's, that's fantastic. I love that. So my, my mantra when I get into the ice bath is no negotiation. I tell myself no negotiation, just go, just get in. Yeah. And then when I, whenever my feet hit the water, it's easy to stand there waist deep, but going under, that's the hard part. And, and my, the thing that I tell myself in my head is no negotiation. You do not negotiate with yourself about this. Boom. And as silly as that sounds to the listeners, as silly as it sounds, those little bitty nuggets of self-talk, they will start to drive you. I love refuse to snooze because you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's just whenever you start to realize this, every decision you make, well, like James Clear says, right? Every time you, you're always making a vote for the person that you want you're casting a vote for the person you want to become or the person you want to be, mm. you know, based on those identity, you know, habits. And, and so you're, you're, it's a battle. You're either choosing, am I going to commit to myself or am I going to betray who I want to become? Now, one of the things that I think, and you mentioned it earlier, how like, man, probably even a decade, 15 years ago, guys like you, a, a team, a professional team probably wouldn't understand the immense value that you bring to an organization. Um, uh, understanding the mental aptitude that i mean i was thinking about this before we got on today like man my uh my aunt or it's it's my my wife's aunt so i guess my aunt by marriage she's a caregiver and she's working with this 86 year old former nfl defensive lineman for the cleveland browns that is um six eight i mean just a huge giant guy and I'm thinking about back in those days when those guys played, it was basically just suck it up. You figure out how to make yourself ready to take on whatever challenge there. There was no sitting down, unpacking identity-based habits. Let's there was none of that. And now we've got just all these tools at our disposal. One of the things that I have found fascinating over the last few years, I've done a lot of research on, I want to get your take on it is how much of the neurochemistry and, and, and take that even for the, the health and wellness and the things that impact our mind, like fatigue, like good sleep. Uh, how much of that have you implemented into your coaching for your athletes and, and your other clients? Just just kind of the, the actual, uh, I guess, the biometric component of it as opposed to just the behavioral. Yeah, I haven't much yet, to be honest with you. I feel like the research is still... It almost feels like it, it's not changing, but we keep adding to it, right? And I just mm -hmm. get so concerned in working with, when I think about professional athletes who have spent their entire life chasing one goal with this clear purpose and how difficult it is to get to the major leagues, I personally get nervous on like sharing something that I'm not confident in, mm. right? It, and, and so mm. I always just like, again, I, 
I love where it's going. I'm excited. Like, and I'm trying stuff out, you know, um, when I was at Notre Dame, we actually had a budget to try that stuff out, you know? Um, and, and so it was cool to see a lot of the stuff that was coming in. Uh, and now that sports science, right. Um, organizations are hiring more sports scientists, which is like, I let them do their thing. Like those are the ones, right. But I haven't, I guess I haven't seen enough Jason where I feel confident enough to really talk about it. Right. I mean, like, I mean, we know the importance of like dopamine and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, you know, and so, um, like I do talk about like, Hey, you know, the importance of dopamine, how it makes you feel good. And then you crave it more good. Well, how do I get dopamine? Well, that's the importance of defining success, right. And taking control. Cause if you don't define what good looks like. So I, I guess, um, it's probably leading to like how I use quote unquote neurochemistry around defining success is like, Hey, this is what dopamine is. This is how it works. How do we leverage it to get better? Right. Cause what happens uh, like working with a, a few NFL guys right now, one of them, um, pretty cool, gonna, you know, got a big game on Sunday. And so what we're talking about is like, Hey, how do you build authentic confidence? Mm. Like real confidence? Cause what happens when you get close to performance, we all know this for anyone's ever stood in the batter's box or been out there, you know, in the arena, self-doubt shows up. That's normal. It is a hundred percent normal. If, if you don't have it, I question you. Right. And so I just question your your awareness, but, but here's the difference maker is you have to have harder and evidence that you're ready for this moment to quiet that negative self-talk, right? You can't fake it. And so where does authentic confidence comes from? Well, it comes from intentional, you know, practice during the week. It's, it's on purpose with purpose practice, defining success. Cause what happens if I go, Hey, success for me today is like working my hands on stopping the run and alignment, um, alignment when I'm going up against this offense alignment, we'll call it, right? If that's success for me today, that's what I'm going to work on. And I want to make sure I get a specific move down where I can swipe and get to his right. Okay. You def define success for the day. When you, when you do that, because I know you will, you're, you're, you're intentional. When you do that, guess what? Dopamine. Now you feel good, right? So now imagine that you build that up in every period of practice and football, right? Or baseball, whatever it is, and batting practice, whatever it is, you build that up. When that voice of doubt shows up, no, you have harder damage. You're like, no, I did this on Tuesday, did this on Wednesday. But if you're not intentional in practice, defining what success looks like, when that voice of self-doubt shows up, you're going to go, did I do enough? I, don't, I, don't, I never defined enough. I don't know if I did enough. And now all of a sudden that gets a little bigger and now all of a sudden there's hesitation and that's the difference between winning and losing, right? And so it is, again, just... Uh, from a dopamine perspective, right? It's like, how do we build authentic confidence? It's just doing things intentionally on purpose, with purpose, building up to competition, knowing that it is normal for that voice of self-doubt to show up. So what can you do to build the voice of reason to be like, nah, man, I got this. Let's go do it. That makes so much sense. And if you listen to or watch any of the old uh, videos of Larry Bird and Jordan, that was kind of, they outworked every single person. And I think that there's a, there's a really good interview that Jordan did years and years ago about um uh, th they asked him I think the question was do you ever are you ever scared do you ever have fear out there and he said yeah I always have fear but I've also got confidence in that I that I have done the work to overcome the the fear that I may feel and so and I think and you know and Larry Bird famously he was shooting some commercial for Taco Bell or something and he had to miss a shot and it became 
harder for him to miss a shot than to make a shot. They had to do these, they had to do so many takes. It took him like, it was some crazy story. Like it took him 15 shots to miss on purpose. He just, it was easier for him to make a basket than to miss a basket. And, and then I think it was, um, went during the, uh, the first dream team. Yeah, this was, um, what's the guy he's the, um, the international sports ambassador for Nike now, our basketball ambassador, one of the most. I, I'm drawing. I'm drawing a blank. I'll, I'll figure it out. But he was. He was. He was on um, Tim Ferriss's show, I think, and he was talking about how Larry Bird shows up for the uh, the first practice. This is the Olympics, right? So this yeah. isn't like NBA championship, or whatever. And they finish practice, and Larry Bird asks this guy who was coaching the team. He said. Um, he said, can I get a ride back to the hotel later? I'm not going to leave on the bus. Larry Bird stayed after everybody left and continued practicing for the, for what, you know, let's face it, the, the Olympics are very competitive, but it's kind of an exhibition type deal. Larry Bird wanted to stay and practice longer, and he was also the first one back the next day. Mm. And so he did those things to overcome any fear by having the confidence. And I think that's like one of the things I was going to tell you about what I used to do when I played baseball. This, I, looking back, was the dumbest thing I ever did, and it was a, such an example of a fixed mindset. I remember it was my junior year, and first of all, I was a right-handed hitter, and Ken Griffey Jr. was a left-handed hitter. But man, as was the case with like Will Clark and all you guys that can hit from the left side of the plate, it's just prettier than a right-handed swing. It's just you know a, a left-handed batter with a beautiful swing a flowing swing especially like will clark god i used to love i don't i never understood how other than his unbelievable vision he was able to have that long beautiful swing and make as much contact as he did well i decided i wanted to look like king griffey jr i want to look like not even hit his hit for the power but it was very important so i started trying to swing from the right hand of the plate like king griffey jr what I did, so I I took that step, like what you're talking about, going, that's what I want to look like. I want to be a hitter like King Griffey Jr. You know what I didn't do? I didn't do any research to figure out what King Griffey Jr. did before in, in practice, after practice, to to develop his hitting skills. I didn't do that. I just wanted to look good like King Griffey Jr. as opposed to, and I think one of the biggest tra- changes for me, and I still struggle with this as a podcaster, as an author, is to... I have these authors and podcasters that I love the work they're doing. I love the conversations they're having, but figuring out to do the work and develop the habits and the, 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 just the mundane stuff that nobody sees that, that the failures that just kind of, it's a lot of all this work for nothing, but that's what I'm trying to get better at. And so am I on the right track with understanding that it's not just enough to go, I want to be like that guy. You had to put in the reps, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all reps, right? It was funny. I was, it's probably about a month ago, I was speaking at a conference and someone asked a question from the audience said, well, l- let's say uh, you're working with a pitcher that's really struggling with confidence and how would you help them improve their confidence? And I, I said, well, what's the issue? Right. And they go, well, maybe, uh, you know, they're, they, they can't throw strikes. They're struggling throwing strikes. And when you talk to them, uh, you realize it's a confidence thing. And I, and my first thing was like, well, before I realized it's a confidence thing, like maybe they're just not very good. Like, can we just start there? Like, maybe they just haven't put it in the reps. Like, maybe it's not a kind of, and again, it kind of took everybody back because they're like, hey, you're the mental performance guy. Like, what's the mindset issue, right? And the example I used was uh, my wife, great snowboarder. She snowboarded her whole life, grew up in Northern New Mexico, right? Well, as a baseball player that grew up in Arkansas, 
not a lot of opportunities to go snowboarding and then when you are skiing anything, right? And, and then when you start playing baseball, you're like, well, I ain't doing that. I'm going to hurt myself. So it wasn't until I got done playing and I was coaching. I was like, hey, let me go, let me go snowboard with you. And I can tell you, my confidence was at an all-time low. But you know why it's an all-time low? Because I'm not very good. Really simple, right? And so it's like maybe some people like build your confidence on the bunny hill. And, and here's what I didn't do. I'm like, I'm going to ride with you. You know, I'm a big, tough guy. I'm going to figure this out. So I just rode with her to the top. And she's like, let's do blue. If you've never gone before, let's just do blue, right? And so she's shredding it. And I'm like, man, I love this woman, right? And then I go and... Jason, it took, I'm like dripping sweat. It took me so long. Like I'm like snow plowing. I think they call it all the way down. <laughs> I was up and down. It was ridiculous how long it took me. Right. And it, it's a competence issue. It's not a confidence issue. Right. And so, yeah, what we're talking about first is like, Hey, have you put in the work? And, and that's, uh, you know, I think, you know, Brandon's work, you know, I'm sure he sees this. And I think one of the benefits of being a former you know, professional baseball player, professional baseball manager, coach, what, what I get to see sometimes is like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't mindset. This is just straight up. You haven't put in the work. This is a, a tech technique thing. Like you're on your heels. Like, why don't you just get on the balls of your feet? Let's just start there, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think sometimes we want to make it bigger than it is. So it is, um, again, and, and I never I hate making blanket statements, but so, you know, obviously because everybody's different, but I do think a good place to always start is like, have you put in the work before we start talking confidence, before we start talking other stuff, what, what work have you put in? You know, don't, don't show up and say, I have no confidence to go down the black diamond. And I'm like, well, how many times have you been skiing? Never. Well, shoot, let's start at the bun. That's why you have zero confidence. Right? right. So yeah, it is about putting in the work for sure. It's interesting you say that too. That that resonates too with guys like again, uh, Jordan, Bird, uh, Tom Brady. These were not naturally gifted athletes. I mean, yes, Jordan was unbelievable in as he developed. You go back to his high school days where he got cut and he didn't get to go to North Carolina State. He went to Chapel Hill instead. And there was it, but these guys just they worked and worked. Don Mattingly, going back to sh show my age, you know, Mattingly would would take five hundred um strokes off a tee before every freaking game yeah. nolan ryan would go work out after he had pitched you know dennis rodman on the bike after you know that guy had just a boundless energy have you seen and, and this is one of the things that josh tomlin told me whenever you know later in his career as he became more of like uh, and this is why and he'll tell you firsthand he's like is like, like, I never should have been a professional baseball player. Kind of like whenever you were told you're going to have to bat right-handed all the time, whenever he was told you're, you're going to pitch, that's all you're ever going to do. You guys, whenever you're growing up, you're good at everything. That's how you become a major league baseball player. I don't care if you're a pitcher. There was a time in your life where when you were in high school, you probably were the best hitter on the team as well. You're just, you're just naturally gifted. And he was told, yeah, you're only going to pitch. And he's like, oh, crap. So he had to just do that. But he became a clubhouse leader. And so that's what he, it's what he's saying. That's why I was in the league for so many years is that it wasn't because he said the fastest I ever threw a pitch was 86 miles per hour, but I knew how to take these kids and mentor them. And he said, he said, you give me a kid that has some talent, but is not the first round draft pick did not sign for a big signing bonus. He said, that's the one that's going to come up and be the stud. It's the uber talented player that he said those are the hardest ones to bring along because they've had so much success have you found that to be the case that a lot of times these just uber uber talented individuals when they start to slip a little bit it's hard it's harder almost to bring them back to their 
their glory days because they it's just they've just been they've had so much raw talent over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I tell people this all the time: the easier it is to be good, the harder it is to be great. Mm, like I like that. If, if it's easy for you to be good when you you know if you're always the biggest kid or whatever you know, and then and it's always been easy for you. When you get to a level, and I promise you, you will get to a level where that playing field levels out. When you get there, if you haven't built the resiliency, the hard work, the self-talk skills, right? All those things. And, and maybe you haven't built them yet, and, and but you're open enough, kind of goes back to what we originally talked about. Like you learn enough you want to, you start to realize like, but guess what? You've always been physically better and it's been easy for you. And now it's hard and you haven't built those skills along the way. It just makes it really tough versus the person that, always had to fight their way on the team, always had to work just a little bit harder because what are they cultivating, whether they know it or not? They're, co they're cultivating, you know, positive self-talk. They're cultivating goal setting. They're cultivating, actually uh, not attaching their identity to their performance. Why? Because they're not that good, right? And yeah. so it's like, well, you know, it's like, this is just, baseball is just what I do. It's not who I am, right? And they, they naturally figure that out because they're not the best on the team or whatever it might be, right? And so they, they start to, look at the game differently and see around corners because they're like, well, I can't just out, out athlete this. I just can't mm -hmm. outrun it. So, hey, but if I, if I get over here, if I learn the rules a little bit better, you know, if I look for little ways where I can beat you and maybe it's only for, for this pitch or whatever it is, like those things start to add up. And then when you, you know, your talent catches up with you or, or the, you know, the work you put in starts to really flourish. Now you have all the other things that those that were ahead of you they don't have, right? And that's when you pass them, right? And so I've definitely seen that over and over again. And like, let, I mean, Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry wanted to go to Duke, wanted to go to North Carolina, wanted to go to Wake Forest. They didn't want him, right? Roy Williams didn't want him at North Carolina. Where does he go? Davidson, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and now he's the greatest shooter to ever step on an NBA court. He made himself into that, right? He worked his way into that. And 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 there's a great story Allen Stein Jr. tells um, you know, he, he works in uh, mental performance as well, works a lot of NBA guys. And um, I can't remember if it's five or 10 free throws at the end of every practice, but Steph Curry, like most people would be like, hey, I'm going to make this many shots. We'll call it 10. Uh, Steph Curry would not leave the floor until he swished 10 free throws in a row. Wow. Swish, not <clears throat> make, swish, right? And that is, because that what does it take to swish a ball? A perfect shot, right? Yeah. And so it's like, that's just a different level. But imagine doing that, call it 300 days a year for four years. That's 1,200 extra days, 10 shots a day. That's 12,000 shots, perfect shots. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you know, man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. We know that. Vince Lombardi said that. It's as true, you know, today as it was back then. And, and it's just understanding that, like, it is, man, putting in the work. And, and I love it. I love it when I hear stories like, you know, doing pre-draft interviews or whatever, when guys start talking about how hard it was on them. Right. And how they had to fight through this and fight through that. I get really excited because it's, it's tough in a pre-draft interview to fit in an interview to figure out, is this kid that's, you know, never stepped on a professional diamond is if we give him a couple million dollars, is he going to be, is he going to be what we think he's going to be? Right. Cause you really don't know, right. You really mm -hmm. don't know until the bullets start flying. And one of the things that I've found is like the greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Yep. And so I want to, cause I know it's going to get hard for you. I know it. It might not be year one, year two, but at one point it's coming and it's going to be your response to that hard that's going to determine if you're the person we think you are. So I hope you've had some hard in your life because that hard is going to develop, you know, the perseverance, the resilience. So don't run from it, right? 
lean into it because that's going to build the skills you need to be great at the next level. You know, I wish I would have had you back whenever I was in in college. I uh, so I was that just naturally gifted athlete in high school, and of course, compared to today's standards, I wasn't that great at all. But I was all state, and actually, what part of Arkansas are you from? I'm from Mountain Home, which is North Central, yeah, small town. You're familiar with it. I know where Mountain Home. I have a brother in Russellville, which isn't okay, too yeah. terribly far. I don't think just uh, a couple hours south. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and my my. My favorite recruiting visit whenever I was coming out of high school was Fayetteville. Went to the University of Arkansas. That's back when this really going to show how, how much older I am than you, dude. Danny Ford was the head coach. So yeah, he yeah. was at that time. That's back when Arkansas was just hiring old, old timers that yeah, he had a national championship under his belt. So let's bring in, let's bring Danny Ford off the ranch to coach and try to bring this thing back to glory. Um, and, but Danny Ford wanted to offer me. A scholarship in the spring instead of the fall, which meant there was no there was no guarantee I was going to get the scholarship, right? And I hated football, Darren. I hated. I played because my dad loved football, but I ha I was a good enough athlete that I could gut it out and be pretty good, but no hard in it whatsoever. All I was doing was counting down the seconds every game. So then I end up taking a scholarship to Stephen F. Austin State University, uh, and you know my coach and a lot of a lot of folks were like. Why would you go there when I could have gone to, you know, bigger schools? And in my mind, first of all, I was the first member of my family to ever go to college. So oh, that's I, great. I, I just, I didn't really know. And then two, I was like, well, it's Stephen F. Austin State University. It's division one, two, a, nobody really cares about football. I can gut it out another four years. It's the only way I'm getting to college. I'll go. And brother, even at that level, that lack of heart, it, it just, it wouldn't do it for me. I was, I was out yeah. and. I had to have been, I always thought about that. I was probably one of their biggest disappointments of that recruiting class because I was supposed to be so good. They they recruited me based on my talent. That what they didn't know was how much I hated the sport. In fact, my linebacker coach was Gene Chizik, the um, the national championship coach in Auburn. Auburn, yeah, 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 yeah. But before he fell from grace, you know, you win national championship, you have a bad couple seasons after that. Uh, you only won because of Cam Newton, you're out. But right. Chizik was a great coach. And I kept him so pissed off because he saw the talent in me and he knew I was just didn't have the heart for it. I wish I had someone like you back then that could have said, Hey, look, dude, you made this decision. And, and, the, and it also came down to me. It's like, I ended up having to, I gave up my scholarship and I worked my way through college. The resilience was just, I just want to get through college. It was, I never wanted to be a football player, but I think if I, if I had really understood the, you know, what I was capable of, if I just put my mind, if I just put the reps in and just because it's not as easy as it was, it, you can't just go through the motions and be all state like you could in high school. Right. Still, it could be worth it. I think that would have been so helpful, but I'm the, all that to say is to kind of tell myself, I'm the bad scenario. I was the kid who rested on talent his whole life up to that point. And when it came down to your talent, won't get you, through this, you're not going to be a starter on this team with just based on talent. And as a result, you know, done. And then I think that bled over into other areas of my life. You know, I was so good at things just easily that it took me a while to realize, dude, first of all, you're not as good as you think you are Two, even if you are that good, it's not good enough to get you where you want to go. So in like, whenever I started this game of podcasting and writing, I'd never done it before. And I just did a, uh, a video <laughs> this past week that they kind of uh, response video to an Alex Hermosi interview with Chris Williamson and said, you know, look, here's the deal. I suck. I got to first admit that there are elements of this where I suck instead of just saying, no, I'm going to pretend like I'm good at this. 
No, yeah. I suck. And I've got to admit that, but I know where I want to go. And so I got to believe with you dealing with people that were infinitely more talented than I could have ever thought about to get that person to say, Hey, I know you were blue chip recruit. You're probably going to the league one day, or you at least should, you have all the elements of it, but guess what? Right now you're just not quite good enough. You're going to have to work a lot yeah. harder. I got to believe those are some tough conversations. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're not, um, fun. The beauty of sports though, is generally because, you know, especially versus business, it's pretty clear that you're underperforming, right? Mm, Whereas in yeah. business, sometimes yeah. it's not quite as, as clear, but sports is very black and white, uh, generally that, that you're underperforming. And so, uh, but there are some, it's fun. I just thought of this story. I was sharing this the other day that now that you bring that up, I used to do this self-awareness exercise when I was managing in the minor leagues. And one of the things that, that I would do is I would get everyone in a room and I'd say, Hey, here's how scouts are coming every night, writing reports on you. Right. And so this is how they're going to score you on a 20 to 80 scale, 50 being major league average, but they're basing you like where you're at now. And then your OFP, which would be ultimately be where they think you're going to be in the future. Right. And so a 50, just so we're all clear is major league average right now. Right. And so again, 20 to 80 scale. And so I walk them through, this is what it means from an offensive standpoint, base running speed, arm strength, everything kind of walk them through. And then I say, I want you to fill out a scouting report on yourself. Cause I want you to help, you know, I want you to learn like how good are you really? Right. And so uh, I remember this one kid in particular, uh, high round pick, like, I mean, top 10 rounds, uh, wasn't performing well at all. Wasn't hitting very good. Is hitting below 220 in rookie ball, by the way, which is the lowest level. Um, so he's hitting below 220 and he does the exercise and he goes through and he puts himself down as a currently an 80 hitter, like an 80, which is hall of fame. It's like 330 and above. And I thought like, and I first, you know, always reflect myself, like, did I not communicate this right? Like, so, and I called him <laughs> in and said, Hey man, just, you know, just so, so I'm clear, maybe I didn't explain this very well, but you know, this is what this means. And I noticed you put down that you're currently in 80 and you're also future in 80. And so that means that what you're saying is right now in this moment, if we put you in San Francisco playing and, you know, at the time, I think Pac Bell Park, whatever it's called, AT&T Park, if you, if you're there right now, you would hit 330. Is that what, is that? Like, that's what you're saying in 80. And he goes, yeah. And, and it, well, you're hitting, you're hitting right now. And I look, pulled up the sheet. I'm like, you're hitting 222 in rookie ball. Help, help me understand. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy. And I'm like, how are we here? Right. Yeah. And, right. And, and, and the crazy thing was, Jason, is like, it spoke to our ability to not be able to coach this guy. Mm-hmm. It was because he lacks so much self-awareness. And this is a point where I like, it was staring him in the face and it was like, well, it's the umpire. We don't get the scouting reports they get. The balls are better up, you know, like the film, we get more film. Like it went to all the things like total victim mindset, total like, and it was crazy. It blew me away. And the sad thing is the next year, halfway through the next year, he was released, right? Never got better. And it all started with self-awareness. And I just, and I always go back to that where it's like, man, how can I just help paint a clear picture for someone like to try to get a reality check, right? Mm -hmm. To try, because it, it's hard. Like we want to be confident. We want to focus on who we're becoming, right? So of course we're going to see ourselves better than probably we really are. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? But that's the importance of having a coach. That's the importance of having a mentor. That's the importance of having people around you that can tell you the truth and you have a spirit of humility so people can talk to you about, hey, 
you know, I know this, but hey, here's something you can try or, or hey, uh, did you really think that was good? You know, those type of things. And so that's the importance of why uh, you just need other people in your life, right? Like success, like true success is not a solo mission. Can't do it. And so, and another thing I want to speak to, you talk about like, hey, I suck. You know, hey, I get it. I suck. And so one thing when it comes to self-talk, and I learned this from a good friend of mine, uh, Jim Murphy, he talked about the, the importance of present self-talk versus past self-talk mm-hmm. and how that impacts our subconscious and us going forward, right? So he says, hey, man, like when you're working with a pitcher, and I do this now, again, I learned it from him, but like a pitcher might come in the dugout and had a bad first inning. He'd be like, man, I suck today, you know, mm-hmm. or I suck, whatever. And I'm like, no, you sucked. Mm-hmm. Like you sucked. Like I'm not going to, yeah, that was a bad first inning, right? Or whatever. But what happens is, and, and here's what happens with our minds is when we when we say something in the present tense, I suck, what happens is our subconscious closes up, accepts it as being true. Mm-hmm. Then starts to look for other reasons why, why you suck versus I sucked. Mm-hmm. Ending mm-hmm. with an ED, right? Past. It's about the past. What happens after that? Well, if I have goals to get better, our subconscious opens up because we don't want to have that, live in that tension. So, hey, I'm going to open up and look for ways to get better, right? And so, again, super simple strategy um, requires a high level of self-awareness, but I think it's just one simple thing that we can start to look at and say like, hey, when, when you think about focusing on who you want to become versus who you are and you want to become something greater, then let's make sure when we're uh, maybe criticizing ourselves at times and maybe we deserve it, right? But it is in the past tense because you are focused on becoming something better. So, hey, if you're going to beat yourself up, make sure it's past tense so you just don't wear it and carry it with you in the present and into the future. I think that's very, very good advice. It reminds me of going back to Carol Dweck and uh, growth versus fixed mindset is that the power of yet. And that's one of the things I've started trying to use is I'm not good at this yet. I, I don't understand this yet. It's just such a freeing way to and it reminds us that with you know wherever you are is not where you're going it doesn't have to be where you stay and so i probably do need to get get better at that because i I will do that i will sit there and beat the hell out of myself i mean i'm that guy that there's no worse critic of me than me i'm trying to overcome that i will say that the thing that i've gotten better is that i i won't stay in it i'll just use it as motivation and i I, because i'll say I'll, I'll prep, I'll, you know, follow it up with, I just suck at that. I, I suck. I'll, I will do, I sucked. I will, I will yeah. definitely make that a past tense. I'm going to take that note and I'll say, I'm just, then I'll say, I'm just not good at this yet, you know? And, yeah. and it does make a big difference. Now, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because this is one of the hardest things, like I do some individual coaching with more corporate clients, not with athletes, although um, probably going to be working with Josh Tomlin uh, a little bit, but there's something here that, that I have on my notes, it says, what are the four components of every coaching conversation? I I wanted to ask you this one because I think that whatever you're going to come at, and I have no idea what you're going to say, this audience, probably not many Major League Baseball players listening, probably not many NFL players, but there is probably a husband or a wife that's trying to take all these principles that are absolutely applicable in everyday life in a relationship or their parents. So what are, what are the four components of every coaching conversation? Let's say that all of a sudden you're not, you're not, you know, talking to a client that's about to play in the Super Bowl, but you're talking to a husband and wife or a mom and dad that are trying to be the best mom and dad or, or the, or whoever just out there in the a corporate, an executive just got promoted to CEO. And they're like, they've heard, they read all the books. So, you know, what got you here? Won't keep you here and all that yeah. stuff. You know, what does, what does that coaching session look like? Yeah. So I, I kind of d- divide them into just, again, 
as you mentioned, four components. First place, let's just start this. Starts with accountability, right? Always mm-hmm. gotta start. And and accountability comes from, hey, what did you say you were gonna do? Whether that was a performance, whether you know, parenting. It's like you said you're gonna clean your room. Why didn't you clean your room? Could be that simple, right? Or, you know, a CEO coaching a uh a president or a senior vice president, whatever it might be, right? It's like it always starts with accountability. Start with like this was the expectation. You either hit it or you didn't. Really plain and simple, right? From accountability, then it gets into like an adaptability part of the conversation, meaning adaptable, meaning like, what do we need to change going forward? And this is where you start asking questions, right? And like the best coaches are the best question askers, right? And so it's like, then you start asking questions. Hey, well, why did you, or why didn't you? What are some things you tried? What are some things we should try next time, right? And you're just having that conversation because at the end of the day, you got to coach yourself, right? And so you're trying to raise the level of self-awareness in the individual you're coaching. And by telling someone something, that generally doesn't raise the self-awareness. It's helping them self-discover that. And so the best coaches I've been around ask the best questions. Joey Mafatano, who uh, you know, most notably, I mean, I think he's been in the game 60, gosh, 60 plus years in, in Major League Baseball. Most notably, he was coaching third base when Kirk Gibson hit the home run off Eckersley, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's Joey Mafatano. And one thing he would always uh, tell me after I make a mistake or whatever, he'd say, hey, if you could do that differently, what would you do? He'd ask me right away, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, he knows the answer. He's been in the game at that point forever, right? I mean, 40, 50 years at that point, he knows the answer. But you know what's more important? Do I know the answer? I'm the mm-hmm. one on the field performing. I'm the one doing the stuff. And so he starts out right away. Yeah, there's an accountability piece. I know he's waiting for me. I made an error. I wasn't where I should have been. He's waiting for me. That's the accountability piece. Hey, if you could do that again, what would you do differently? And then based on my answer would be where he would go. If I knew... He'd be like, all right, let's make sure you do that next time. If yeah. I didn't, then he would start coaching me on it, right? Um, so anyway, so there's the accountable, hold someone accountable. Then it's adaptable where you're just like, hey, how did, how did we do? What are some things we need to do differently? And then there's helpful, right? I say this all the time. Like there's a helpful piece of this conversation where, and this might be encouragement. This might be uh, motivating through whatever means you think are best for this person, right? Individually, right? Everyone responds a little bit differently. But it's about based on whatever those things that you came up with on how you can get a little bit better in the adaptability part of the conversation, let's be helpful and make them feel like they can do the thing, right? It's like belief is so important and make them feel like they can do it. Might even be breaking down the process goals, right? Whatever it means, but there should be a helpful part of the conversation where you are partnering alongside this individual that ultimately is going to be going forward to perform, right? You got to be there next to them. And then the last piece is focus, right? Drive focus walking out of there. And so, I encourage uh, some of the business uh, leaders that that I work with, say this all the time. It's like, before the person walks out of the room, just ask them, hey, what did you hear and what are you going to do? Because mm. just because you told them doesn't mean they heard it. More important than what you say is what they hear and what they remember, Yeah, right? And can, yeah. and can they make it actionable? And so the last piece is driving focus right out of the conversation. What did you hear? What are you going to do? And if they can tell it back to you, perfect. Because then next time you meet with them, you know what the first part of that conversation is? Accountability to the thing that they were focused on, right? And then the cycle goes again, right? And so it's just, um, again, I love working in frameworks. You know, I shared the identity, perspective, thoughts, emotions, actions. That helps me. And so that's one thing that I share with coaches. It's like, again, you can call it whatever you want, but, you know, I call it from accountable to adaptable to, hey, let's be helpful. And then let's drive focus coming out of that meeting. I think that is all absolutely Fantastic. And I guess, DMAC, the last thing I'd like to ask you is, man, have we covered everything 
that you wanted to cover because these are just the things I was curious about whenever I, I, I realized who you were and what you were doing and you were coming on the show. And, and, and by the way, dude, thank you so much. This, I mean, there is so much gold that you just, you just threw out throughout this entire conversation. It, it was, it's so fantastic, but what have we missed brothers? Anything else that we need to cover before I let you go? Oh, man, man, there's gosh, uh, I, great question. And it's like, where, where could I take that? Yeah, man. Um, no, like I love this conversation. I really do. Man. I really appreciated the, the thoughtful questions and, you know, right before we got on here, you said, Hey man, I just want to keep it organic and just wherever it goes, it goes. And, and we did that and, and I thought it was a lot of fun. So just, no, man, this was great. I really appreciate you. All right. Well, if that's the case, then let's just, let's just end this coaching, coaching session. I hope what you've heard is I thought it was fantastic as well. I heard that it was fantastic and I'm hoping that you will commit to coming back on the show again. I'd love to have you back and I'm going to hold you accountable. That I'll, I'll bug you till you get back on here. <laughs> That'd be great, man. I would love that. I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, I hope your listeners did as well. All right, brother. How can people find you and keep up with you and and reach out to you if if there's any corporate clients? I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business leaders listen to the show because it is about health, wellness, performance, and entrepreneurship. So, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you know, Instagram, socials, whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the the thing that I'm trying to get better at, talking about getting better, is just being more active on Instagram. Right. Um, you know, my handle is dmac underscore mindset, and uh, I can tell you. Uh, you know, people are pushing on me. Hey, you need to be more active. So uh, I have been doing a better job of that. Best way to to get a hold of me there is just DM me through Instagram, right? Um, also on LinkedIn, Darren McMain's there. Um, got a couple podcasts as well, right? We do. Uh, I do a No Show Dogs podcast with Dr. Nicole Detling, where we interview uh, top performers from the professional sports industry and kind of talk about, um, you know, what are those principles that they use that apply to business. And then I actually do one, uh, just a personal one called The Way to Play Free, which is more faith based one for um, athletes, which is where mental performance principles and biblical principles kind of combine. So do all that. Yeah, I'm out there and, and I love connecting with people that want to get better. Really simple, man. If you want to get better, like let's talk. I love it. All right. Well, DMAC, thanks for joining us on the Jason Rash show folks. He's DMAC. I'm Jason and never stop endeavoring to improve always and always we are out. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. <laughs>